Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation podcast. Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation, where our experts bring you fresh ideas and new perspectives on how consumers eat, drink, shop, groom and think. Each episode features a discussion of current topics from the latest consumer trends and new products to shifts in markets and lifestyles. I'm Andrew McDougall, Global Analyst of the Beauty and Personal Care part of Mintel. And today we're going to be discussing our consumer trends, our food and drink trends, our beauty trends and our household trends all in one. And I'm delighted to be joined today by three of my very good friends. I have Simon Moriarty, the Director of Trends Amir. Hello, Simon. Morning. I also am joined today by Alex Beckett, the Global Analyst for Food and Drink. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Andrew. And also joined today by Richard Hopping, our Global Household Analyst as well. Morning, Richard. Hi, Andrew. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you very much. I'm glad to have uh, all three of you on this call. Uh, It's very exciting to have you all here today to discuss all of our trends as much as we can uh, in this very short time period. Uh, But it's exciting as well because this year, all of our category trends have been based uh, and aligned with our seven consumer drivers, uh, which sort of uh, are the basis of a lot of what we do at Mintel now. Uh, And this sets us a great foundation for talking about the trends and particularly for talking about future trends as well. So it seems like that would be a good place to start. And Simon, um, as our god of trends, uh, would you be able to quickly run through the seven consumer drivers for us um, just to sort of introduce us to them? Yeah, of course. And uh, thank you for using my correct title. Um, So we developed the seven drivers, I think, about 18 months ago as a way to, as you say, align all of our content across Mintel. Um, So the focus is very much on the consumer and what's impacting on consumer decision making, both internal and external, all of the different factors that influence every decision that we make, whether it's a purchase decision, whether it's uh, interacting with a brand, how it's how we interact with one another, the different choices we make on a day-to-day basis. Um, and those seven drivers are well-being, which covers everything from physical to mental health, uh, rights, which is all about how consumers want to feel respected, supported, and protected in the world around them. Uh, so there's lots of opportunities for brands to play a part in that. Um, identity, which is about how people are really understanding themselves, their place in society, and how to express all of their different identities, all of their different personas. Technology, uh, which is all about how we find solutions through tech in both the physical and the digital worlds, which ties into our surroundings driver, which is about how we feel connected in different ways to the external environment in which we live and work and socialize. Uh, Value, which is all about how we find tangible benefits from everything that we invest in, whether it's making a purchase, whether it's an emotional investment with a brand or with um, another consumer or another group that we're part of or with the com- community in which we, we live. And then the final driver is experiences, which is about how we continue as humans to continually seek out new stimulation and discover new things that make life more exciting and more, more easy. Great. Well, th- thank you very much for that rundown of that. And then based on those drivers, you then have your 2021 consumer trends that come out of that. Is that right? Yeah, so each of the, the 2021 trends that we launched at the end of last year is based on each of those individual drivers. Um, we did the same last year with our 2030 trends, which was taking each driver and looking at how that would play out over the next 10 years. Um, this time for the 2021 trends, we wanted to obviously focus on the impact of the pandemic in a lot of cases and how a lot of the things that we would predicted over that 10-year time period have actually been accelerated and brought forward by the huge global changes that we've been experiencing over the last 12 months. So things like working at home more frequently, um, different priorities when it comes to making purchases and, and attitudes towards things like plastic pollution. 
And we've also taken um, a sort of a page out of that book, really, because I think in all of our categories, we've then done that. So in beauty, for example, we have four trends um, based on the tech driver, uh, the well-being driver, the surroundings driver, and the value driver as well, um, which we'll get to today. And then, Alex, I know that you've got, is it three trends you've got in food and drink as well? Yep. We got three trends of food and drink too, and we chose uh, well-being, value, and identity to, as the most relevant ones for uh, food and drink uh, over the next couple of years. And then, Richard, you also have two drivers going forward. Uh, yeah, so for household, we picked two trends drivers. So we picked well-being and rights. And I think the the fact that we chose our rights-based trend was really an indicator of how well the alignment with our drivers in general worked because I remember Simon when we have first had discussions about which drivers we were going to align our trends with there was quite a bit of a surprise that we were going down that right direction I don't think it was something that people consider to be the obvious thing for us to talk about or for us to highlight opportunities within household care sorry yeah I think you're just gonna say I think it was a really good good exercise because it validated those drivers and it, it kind of showed that you know from a consumer point of view we talk about these very broad influences but then you can see with the work that you guys are doing that that has a very tangible impact on specific categories which is obviously massively important and so then we have then obviously these trends i mean you've, you've mentioned rights there so why don't we kick off with the rights trends that you're talking about so richard you then have we have the the sort of the broader consumer trend um, which is collective empowerment if that's correct simon he's nodding away so i think that's okay so that is uh, correct and then uh, richard you also have your your specific application in household then which would be the humanity begins at home so how are those trends sort of uh, sort of obviously based from that driver, but how do they then like move into category application and, and what, what are we seeing in those areas? Yeah, so from a, a household perspective, and, and I think it's been mentioned previously uh, by Simon about how, you know, it's impossible for our trends this year to not be influenced by everything that's happened by the pandemic. It's just impossible for us to, to really separate those. And so what we've seen within household care is, is how the role of home care brands has really changed significantly. And because there's a lot more trust in them, they've been really important allies for consumers to protect themselves from the virus. Um, but there's also been this, this drive towards learning things a lot more. And that's that consumer curiosity has grown and that's enabling people to become more empowered in the decisions that they're making you know, uh, Simon's trend is called collective empowerment. So empowerment and education is a big part of our humanity begins at home trend and how, because of that consumer curiosity about what products work best, what products do to a lot of people that are new to the category that haven't been so engaged before, but have been forced to be engaged over the last year it's, it's enabling brands to, to maybe take on a slightly different role to before, to talk about being a voice of authority, a trusted voice of authority. Uh, and that brings a lot of opportunities for, for brands to really create and continue that engagement that they've had over the last year. Then one of the ways that we also see it coming out is, again, based on that voice of authority that home care brands have. And that's to really 
build on the the life-changing or the life-supporting elements that, that they've had over the last year in keeping people safe to start thinking about, okay, we, we're now in this strong position. How else can we make people's lives better? How else can we improve the world that people are living in? And with household care, we often think about sustainability as being a key thing, but we really see that there are opportunities for home care brands in particular to take on more of a social um, kind of approach to what they're trying to change in the world. And there's plenty of evidence that we have that consumers will be responsive to that in terms of uh, people, uh, brands caring more about people or as much about people as they do the environment um, to really tie in with that growth in social mindsets that exist that Simon can probably explain a little bit better about. So that that's really where we see those opportunities for household care brands. And again, going back to the beginning, when we started our conversations, we probably weren't expecting to go down that line. But once we almost had that validation from Simon's team with that collective empowerment trend, then it just made total sense for us. Yeah. And I think just to go back to, from the sort of start point of that, the, the importance of this trend is because it's it's not just about the fact that these social issues exist and that brands have an opportunity to kind of tap into some of these and, and to show where they stand. It's the fact that over the last few years and building up over the last 12 months in particular, consumers themselves have become much more vocal um, and then they're demanding more from the world around them, not just from brands, but brands obviously play a huge part in what, in what people want. Um, so we've seen with, you know, big social movements that have taken center stage over the last 12 months, affecting different groups, different organizations, different individuals. People are feeling as more and more people become more empowered, other people then feel that they have the opportunity to empower themselves. So that creates this kind of knock-on effect where it will kind of split off into different needs that consumers have, different groups will be formed, different demographics will, will look to to kind of have their needs met as well. And that kind of creates an opportunity for brands to understand that it's not, while we talk about collective empowerment from a very broad consumer point of view, within that collective, there are lots and lots of different smaller collectives that have individual discrete needs. Uh, so there's a huge opportunity there for brands to understand it's not a kind of one size fits all approach uh, to try and meet the needs of every single person because every single person has very different different needs that they want met. But they're, what's happening is that consumers are kind of joining in with as many or as few kind of movements as they feel are relevant to them. And they're looking for for solutions or for empowerment or for support from brands and organizations that meet meet all of those different needs. I think one of the really key things to think about is that all of this has been exacerbated over the last year because when we were first talking about the pandemic, people were talking about it being the great leveler, that it was going to impact everyone equally. You know, viruses don't discriminate based on anything. Um, but what we've seen is that the impact of the virus has created widening gaps between people so people are becoming more separated in in terms of not only the world they live in but then also what people are going to be looking for what type of type of change people are going to be making or wanting to see in the world and that's one thing that we've we've picked up on the trend is that a lot of the, the gaps in society have been widened by the pandemic whether that's the the gender gap um, from a household specific point of view, women have taken on a lot of the extra burden from household chores that we've all been forced to do over the last year. The UN have said that it may set back gender equality by 25 years. And there's also, you know, we, we still haven't really seen the full economic impact of this yet. Um, 
because governments have stepped in to help out in a lot of cases. Obviously, in some parts of the world, we're who knows when this is really going to end and what kind of world we're going to live in, even in a year's time from now. So that, I think, is driving that need for, for social movements. Um, and, you know, it, it has to be careful for brands because they can't be looking to be involved in too much stuff because then it will devalue what they're actually trying to, what try and change they're trying to make. Um, but there is certainly ways that brands can show that they're trying to support those consumers. And it's such an interesting area as well that brands have to look at and be careful with as well, because you can't just, you know, obviously, ultimately, what can we make money out of? What can we try and how can we grow our brand and, and build within the consumer mindset? But you have to be really careful with it because as much as, again, you want to tap into these things, it's so easy to go back. So I know Alex will probably jump in and tell us many of the food examples. I don't know if you want to talk about Burger King on Women's Day, International Women's Day, only a few days ago, actually, where they tried to run a print advert on Twitter and that just went catastrophically wrong for them. Um, But there are so many examples, um, no, not to single out companies. There's so many examples of companies in, I'm sure in all of our initiatives, I know I can think of many in beauty where um, you try and you have the best meaning in the world to jump on a social campaign or um, look at these sort of social empowerment issues but if it's not dealt with correctly or authentically or in the right way that is also something that really needs to be thought about so um, it's really really such an interesting but very sensitive area to touch upon it, this this absolutely taps into what we what we see as a, a theme that wove through our trends and everything that you guys have just spoken about comes down a lot to to empathy as a result of the pandemic. Everything a lot of what we thought we assumed we knew about consumers and their, their demands and behaviours has courses changed. You know, devastating impact of this thing on consumer mindsets. It it means we have to reprioritise empathy, listen harder, and work harder, research harder. I guess to to look through their eyes more effectively and be reality check you know think realistically in food and drink you know there's a a lot of bars around certain ingredients and trends but one thing the pandemic has taught us is to think realistically and and not assume you know be it consumers want transparency they want honesty and um yeah so that's that kind of taps in you know we need to listen harder People have suffered. They want solutions from our Mintel clients. And it's our job to, to give the real picture. And the interesting point you made there as well is to be realistic. I think that's probably, it sounds like the yeah. simplest, but it's also, I think, some of the most concise advice that we can give right now because it's so easy to be conceptual, or think futuristic, or think of the most innovative thing. But actually right now, off the back of a health pandemic, I guess, being realistic with what you can do and what you can achieve is really important. Um, and I know that all of you have probably worked with clients on varying projects uh, of varying degrees, but it, it is something that, again, it is you have to think about really clearly. It is, especially as we're, in, we're often asked about opportunities. You know, where's the white space? What's the next thing going to be? Look forward, look ahead. Of course, you're going to look at future innovation. And, and it's tempting not to put enough emphasis on what people want now and the importance of value for money. Um, so it's, it's taken a real, it's a real balance, a real challenge now to, to, yeah, think ahead of what people want and why, but also bear in mind that this has to be absolutely relevant. What we're suggesting is, is what people want. 
uh, going back to the putting that in the in the rights context and and where do you where do you get involved where do you draw back where are you concerned about maybe you're overstepping the mark or you know like you mentioned that that campaign and i think it is something that's a valid question for for our clients to ask us when we're saying you know become more socially active it's like, well where do we do that uh, and where do we where do we get involved where's too much and i think it's it's a, along similar lines we've had this conversation about sustainability and stuff like that before where brands are saying well what do we do what's most important there's so many things that we can try and solve how do we pick which one and I think the answers that we give can be exactly the same. Like, what is your company culture? What is driving your company forward? And if you look internally, you will probably find the right answer to what you should be doing externally. Because we know that for things to be authentic, for things to be transparent, you have to really believe in it. And that works for sustainability and that works for this, these kind of social initiatives that we're talking about. So I think that's really what I would advise. You know, where, where do we draw the line? Where do we get involved and where don't we really whatever is most important as a, a company from a cultural point of view that's probably the direction that you should be looking to go towards yeah and we know from our from the consumer side as well that the, the kind of corporate social responsibility and internal and external accountability these aren't just nice to haves or kind of a tick box exercise for brands. These are things that consumers are starting to and will continue to use as a way to choose between one brand versus another. Is the brand that they're choosing supporting their local community? Is it is it standing by the claims that it's making? Is it is it transparent in, in everything it's saying? And looking at the kind of things like the true cost of of, of a product. So things like the cost of the, the manufacturing process on the environment and the, the, you know, the impact on the workforce and our brands treating their employees fairly. All of these things are starting to kind of build up as it becomes more than just a brand saying, we've got this product that does this and it costs this much money, therefore you should buy it. People are becoming much more conscious about the impact on that collective, whether that's an environmental collective, whether it's a mental health collective, whether it's a local community the impact on local business and just generally this idea about being realistic people are using all of this information that they have to to kind of understand from their own individual point of view am i doing enough now to protect myself from uncertainty in the future and so brands have again the opportunity to, to think about how to not show that they're developing innovation that targets a specific need necessarily but how are they supporting communities how are they supporting consumers and how are they doing that in a transparent and authentic way Mm, supporting and reassuring seems to be sort of a key theme that's come out of this it's really interesting as well how when you talk about innovation safeguarding and future proofing is now actually something that is a realistic thing to do but it's also a very important thing even looking to the future now it's something that um, I know from speaking with a number of beauty brands we're now thinking about okay what are going to be the key themes now and in the future and it's a case of looking at things like protection prevention um, sort of making like you say there Simon like making sure and things like that so it's um, yeah it's really interesting to see how an uncertain time has brought about not a clarity, but it, it has really made you prioritize differently and look at the priorities that you hold dear when you're shopping for different consumer goods in general. Um, and I guess now I'm just going to rip up the uh, the running order we had completely because I know we, we do, we're going to talk about particular drivers we're going, but we've gone backwards so far anyway. So I wanted to bring in then the value driver because I know we have a food and drink trend looking at um, that looks uh, particularly at the value driver. We have beauty revalued uh, on the beauty side as well that looks at it. And obviously I know Simon as well, you 
have a value trend as well going forward. Uh, but we've mentioned a lot about priority and value in those conversations now. How do you feel priorities have shifted when it comes to value? Because I, I find it fascinating now that, for example, in beauty, there's so many ways to justify value to the consumer, whether it's necessity, i.e. I need my shampoo or I need this moisturizer. Like that's just a necessity product for me rather than a luxury. Um, compared with the indulgence of buying a premium fragrance or a premium moisturizer, um, because it gives you that feeling of having a treat. Um, it's that whole sort of experience over possession thing. I mean, how, how do you see value now shifting uh, from your perspective? Yeah, I mean, the, the value 2021 consumer trend is, is called priority shift because it, it does focus very much on that uncertainty and, and the fact that the kind of, you know, the essential understanding of value like is this product something that i can afford that's not going to change cost is always going to be a key driver of, of purchase um but yeah like you said it's people reevaluating what is essential versus what is a treat versus what is essential for them now versus what is essential for them going forward so looking at products that provide that proactive protection in terms of health and well-being um understanding the value of of, of helping and and um, supporting their own mental health for longer term benefits. So different elements coming in as people, I think over the last 12 months, people spending so much time in a different environment or in an environment where they wouldn't have spent so much time. So being at home, spending more time either on your own or with family that you wouldn't normally have spent and having all of this uncertainty around us has led to people just really questioning and spending more time thinking about the future, you know, in a very, in a very tangible way, like what happens when things go back to normal? How does that impact on my shopping habits? or my commuting habits or my working habits. And, you know, these things will have a huge impact on the types of products and services that brands need to, to provide and they need to show value in different ways. So when it kind of comes to something like shopping, obviously online shopping has, has seen a significant boom because people have either not been able to go into store or they've been um, discouraged from going into store or they've just discovered that online shopping is actually more convenient and easier and everything else. That will have a huge impact on when we go back into store, when when shops kind of reopen, how are brands, how are retailers differentiating themselves? And I think opportunity there to, to show the value of things like safety in store, security in store, comfort, nostalgia, getting people back into normality in a way that's kind of um, supportive rather than just saying, okay, we're going back to the way things were. Some people will appreciate that. Some people won't be affected. Some people will just go straight back into the way things were. Huge numbers of consumers are going to need support and need to take their time. So they'll be looking at not just the cost of a product or the essentials that they need to buy every, every day or every week or every month. They'll be looking at those added values of things like comfort, safety, hygiene, um, convenience, um, I think is is kind of now a baseline expectation. So we'll see there's opportunity for brands to provide added value on top of that. So things like really emphasizing their trustworthiness, things like emphasizing their ethical commitments, those will become values that, that consumers are actually looking for. So those priorities are shifting where it's, yes, cost is still important. Um, you know, individual tastes are still important. Uh, brand affiliation, brand loyalty is still important. But on top of those, there are other values that are coming to the fore and that will have a huge impact on different markets going forward. It's interesting that you mention all that as well, because as you're saying about things like safety and sort of comfort and things like that, I'm thinking in beauty, for example, a good beauty example for us is in salons. So for example, like hair salons or spas and salons and things, 
there is this idea that, um, that there's this huge clamor to go back to the barbershop or to the salon because we need, you know, we've been in lockdown restriction. I'm looking at three very coiffured men here. So you've all done very well in lockdown. However, there is this idea that, yeah, I need to get back to the salon. That's a service that, again, when you're looking at the value justification, you're thinking, okay, is it worth my time? Is it worth my effort? Is it worth my investment? Whatever. Um, then you are thinking when it comes to salon services, like, actually, you know what? I really do value my my salon professional or my artists. barber to go in and get that done. Artists. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> artists on our head. Um, but at the same time, we have also seen that for those people that really want to go back and have that haircut done, there is this huge problem with, okay, it's an intimate environment. It's indoors. There's potentially aerosols as well. There's airflow issues potentially, uh, depending on what service you get in a salon. So there are people who are very apprehensive about going back to salons. So is the future going to be mixed services where you have you know, on-the-go salons that come to you, um, the focus very much so on hygiene, uh, the, you know, the barriers that we see going up in shops and, and salons now already? You know, that, is that going to be something that continues? So it's really interesting that you mentioned um, all those things about salons safety in the physical space because in beauty in particular physical spaces are really important but it's how we safeguard again and future proof for that going forward i don't know uh, if you guys in household or food have any sort of um, anything to add on that topic the value of um convenience definitely runs through our sec- our, our trend we looked at through value which is uh, quality redefined and um of course with i guess with many of you guys as well you know we've all been cooking more at home we've had to we've had no choice and a lot of our days suggest that this is going to be a longer term behavior. You know, we've so many people, especially younger people, forced to cook their own own meals and have been forced to improve their own culinary skills as well as they realize they've got no choice. You know, you can't always rely on on that. Uh, um, delivery or what have you but at the same time you know we've got this reality check thinking about empathy what do people really want we're not going to be cooking all the time there's still this need for convenient options and so what we've seen coming through with food is is this surge in innovation around more premium restaurant quality meal kits and uh, and ready meals really prepared meals which strive in different ways to kind of emulate what you would have been able to get in a restaurant where, where it open. Um, but what is really is thinking about value is just what people have gained from being forced to cook for themselves, the creativity, the self-expression, um, escapism as well, uh, as well as the educational value and, and health and, and not least financial savings as well. Um, so, yeah, we've seen these fakeaways come through meeting budgets and different different budgets and occasions and as a result if i may be permitted one thing we, we thought well we've got so many flavor clients here here at mintel what does all this mean this kind of new appreciation of of, of the big values that, that people are feeling as a result of the pandemic you know the, the we want versatile affordable ingredients that are natural we are cooking with plant-based options more we are cooking healthily more what does that mean for flavor what can we say put all these these pieces of the jigsaw together this would suggest look at this as a flavor for the future more and we decided that it, it speaks presently of uh, umami and miso in particular if you think about that consumers want natural products now versatile good value but also plant-based and also something which is going to really add a depth the savory depth to more of the plant-based meat substitutes we are seeing more come through onto dinner plates miso umami quick fix as well very convenient and um and we are still seeing influences come through from asia you know consumers are interesting interested to see these kind of nuanced approaches to to savory and savory sweet and savory um yes apologies for that that's a terrible term um 
Oh, really? Slavery? Okay, we'll get away with that. Um, so, yeah, convenience massively as a value that people are really appreciating more. Uh, but at the same time as well, it's kind of a paradox as appreciating the value of, of being able to cook for themselves uh, in terms of that self-expression. Would you, would you say, Alex, that there's opportunity then as well? Because we talk about, you know, we talk about different ingredients and different flavors and influences from the East and from Asia and people looking for things like umami and different different things that would have previously been a bit more niche or more kind of this was restaurant and this is different when I'm cooking at home. Do you think from, from people from lower incomes who are maybe have a different set of priorities, you know, their, their priorities and their values are, are led by the cost of the product. Mm. So is there then opportunity for, for those kind of more innovative flavors to, to come into things like the frozen meal kit? Yeah. Frozen, um, private label, big opportunities, bring that price down, but also in, even in ambient goods, you know, we've seen, obviously seen people using ambient canned and frozen goods more as a result of the pandemic. We have storage issues. We need, again, clear value for money credentials. Um, but yeah, playing with flavor, because we are in, we are locked down in our own homes. We still are so curious, as, as Richard was mentioning earlier. We're talking about a generation of young consumers here who are characteristically adventurous, curious about flavor, given the means, you know, and bring the price down through, through thinking about frozen, ambient, but also, as I say, private label as well although it tends to be the brands that would be leading with this. I feel like you're setting up a campaign there, Ray, for Flavour for Kids. Yeah. I love it. Just bringing through the next the next sort of generation of... Can't give everyone my website. No, but I love that idea when you as you say, when you're talking about flavour and things, and that kind of moves me on to our next topic as well with about well-being, because as you're talking about flavour and things like that, and then from a beauty point of view, I, I think uh, very much linked to obviously flavours and fragrance, thinking about scent and how in a very similar way that can bring that experience to the home aromatherapy and I'm looking at you here Richard as well because I know you have your um, your safe home serene home trend which is your well-being driver driven trend but again that is must be you know it's about creating that environment at home so I kind of feel like there's, there's such a value now in that as well and, and I know uh I was going to say Moz then. It's Simon mentioned it earlier um, about the, uh, the 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 value of well-being in place. So it seems like a good place to move on to now. Um, and is that something you definitely see much more in household, Rich? Uh, well, we haven't really seen it massively take hold yet. So when we think about well-being and household care, the most obvious one is physical well-being. So there's a really, really clear association that cleaning brands all those kind of brands have with keeping people safe. Uh, they remove dangerous things from the home, therefore you're going to have a healthier home. But what, what we've been talking about is how physical well-being has been the priority for the last year. But at the same time, we've seen the the sheer pressure that's been put on people from so many different for so many different reasons. So, uh, Mac, I know that you've obviously got a young child, but he's not quite of school age yet. But uh, Alex slash Abe, you've got uh, school-aged children, so you know how you've had to deal with all of your usual work pressures, but then also added combined with uh, the pressure of being a parent and a teacher at the same time. So all of these things that's been put on us within the home itself means that there's this huge opportunity for, for all kinds of brands, but in this case, home care brands, to really think about, okay, yeah. how can I, again, going back to that idea of how can I improve people's lives? How can I improve people's 
feelings, emotions, mental well-being while we're at home. And as you mentioned, a lot of that comes through fragrance. So we would expect to see aromatherapy um, claims becoming more prevalent to sort of directly deal with that. But the other side of, of home care that isn't quite so dependent on, on that sort of more expensive product, let's say, is more about the process and the routine that a lot of people talk about how that helps them to deal with mental stress, makes them feel better. A lot of influencers, clean influencers, as they're referred to, uh, often talk about how the process of cleaning makes them feel better. And then they take pictures of their weirdly gray slash silver sparkling houses uh, on Instagram and everyone says, yeah, that's something I want to aspire to. They're always grey or silver, aren't they? These, these They're always grey or silver <laughs> or a variation of the two, yeah. Um, and so that's something that the brands can talk about in a lot more detail than they have done before, that process, that routine, keeping on top of things um, uh, and really tying in with that sort of organisation movement that we maybe saw a couple of years ago coming through, but still hasn't really gone away, especially with growing trends like minimalism and stuff like that. So there's a couple of different ways that brands can talk about it in the home care space. It's not necessary because, you know, when we talk about value and Simon says, rightly, there are a lot of people that are still concerned about price first and foremost and adding in fragrances that claim to help soothe the mind are, are obviously going to be more expensive. So you need to try and find other ways of associating your brand with how you can make people feel better, not just relying on chucking an extra five pounds onto the product price. Yeah, this is this is just what we've seen in food and drink as well. Efficacy. These things need to work. They need efficacy needs to be a, a need to have, not a nice to have. There, we're seeing a surge in um, in mental wellness, mood support products coming through, with good reason. You know, people say they want this, they want support with with uh, un- understandable anxiety and what have you. But they need to work. You know, we've seen the Ayurvedic trend becoming more and more popular here in the West. Ayurvedic ingredients, herbs, spices coming through with vague links of, of supporting your mood and, and, and encouraging sleep and what have you. But there's no clinical proof. And so people, at the moment, with people watching the pennies, um, it's all well and good putting these botanicals in and these remedial plant ingredients and what have you. But put in the clinically proven micronutrients as well that we know support psychological function so yeah put in the turmeric put in the ashwagandha what have you but also the magnesium as well where the, the strictest health wash drug in the world in brussels efsa um has already agreed that you know this does support psychological function be realistic you know again value for money don't dupe people don't mislead them win trust with the botanicals make it work with the with the sciencey bit yeah we see the exact same thing in beauty as well because the, the health and wellness sort the sector has like absolutely blown everything away the last couple of years but substantiation is so important there's so many brands that just get called out now for not being able to substantiate claims uh, there's famous brands that create all manner of products not just beauty but just wellness products in general that claim all these wonderful things they charge loads of money um, but there's absolutely no substantiation behind some of the claims they make 
but for those for some of those big businesses it doesn't matter they still they still function and that's fine um but yeah i, th- I think both of you are so right there the efficacy and just having something that works is going to be really important and it's a big part of wellness mm. um and it's really interesting because those natural extracts and those natural ingredients and the science in the past whereas like we we saw it being so separate it's now actually they can be together because we kind of need the evidence we need the proof we're almost seeing um i know it's an old trend that we have but this return to experts now as well this idea that we do actually need people to just come in and say yeah this works and this is how it works and in a way that's better for your mental well-being then isn't it it's going to become even more important because you know we know that well-being is a big trend encapsulated by the fact that all four of our different trend streams, if you like, include that well-being trend. Um, And so, yes, it is going to be a huge topic. And we know that brands are going to try and and jump on that and try and provide that. So you're going to have to try and differentiate. And the only way you can differentiate is by providing that evidence. And I mentioned a couple of weeks ago in an internal conversation, the the phrase well-being washing and i'm going to try and put that in here so that if it becomes a a big trend i've ever can legitimately point to the date where it was first used but that's going to be you know we've seen uh, the whole issue with greenwashing there's i think a, a strong chance that we're going to go into well-being washing as well um where brands are talking about how products can do better for your well-being without evidence of that. Uh, I know that in food and drink, there's a lot of regulation around it, but there's still ways of communicating ideas that get around the regulation. Um, and so to going back to the return to experts, you're going to have to try and get some of that substantiation um, in order to really stand out to, to consumers in the end. Yeah, I think off the back of what we've seen is what you're saying is is correct there because I think I think immunity claims are going to be the next one now. Obviously, given everything that's gone on with the health pandemic, immunity claims are going to be those things to watch because some immunity claims are obviously again scientifically backed and can be made whether you're talking about something you ingest or something you topically apply. Um, but yeah, as you, there's going to be so many that just jump on the bandwagon rather than um, actually have anything substantial behind it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's going to be something I think definitely to watch going forward and it's definitely going to be important. I think one potential thing as well that we'll see just to kind of add on to the things that you've all mentioned, this idea of, of brands as experts, I think it's it's not going to be just about substantiating claims because claims are about a very specific end result. And by their nature, making a claim is irrelevant to large numbers of consumers because they don't know about that end result. They don't care about that end result. They have it's not relevant to them. You know, there are huge numbers of consumers that will have the same sort of well-being habits that they've always had, whether it's they always clean the home with certain types of products, whether it's they always try and eat a certain amount of fruit and vegetables. Then these things like um, you know, nutrition shots or Ayurvedic ingredients just aren't relevant but i think there's opportunity for brands then to kind of understand those individual consumer needs and not necessarily try and create products for them but to facilitate kind of information platforms that those people can use to find okay on top of what i do in my day-to-day life what else do i need to do what else can i access to kind of improve my my physical health, my nutritional health, my well-being. It's not outside of the, the world that is kind of familiar to me because, you, you know, when we start talking about different types of ingredients, there are always people that will jump on those and, and kind of try as many different things as possible and see what works. But for other consumers, it's kind of, you know, 
either they're not available in the, the stores that they shop at, they're outside of their price range, that they, they don't want to try these different types of products for different personal reasons. And it's about understanding that there's, there are those consumers that they, they have their, their well-being habits. They have ways of kind of getting through keeping their family safe, keeping themselves safe, looking to the future, but fitting all of that into their existing lifestyle. So there's opportunities, I think, for brands across all markets, not to come in and say, we can make you better, but to say, we've, if you need it, if you need information, if you need support, we can provide that by partnering with yeah. mental health charities or, you know, um, celebrity endorsers, who, you know, whatever it might be. I think there's huge opportunity there for brands to, to kind of to talk about well-being in ways that people understand that an individual community, again, community is important um, at that level and helping it become part of day-to-day life rather than you have to make huge steps to change your life because that immediately puts off a lot of people. It becomes a scary thing. But if you can blend it into your day-to-day and, you know, understanding things like you, your cleaning routine has a benefit for your mental health, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to invest in loads of aromatherapy products to emphasize that. It's just about the, the, you know, the nature of cleaning or understanding the, you know, as we've all probably been doing over the last year or so, just the, the, the benefit of, of going outside, taking a walk, enjoying the fresh air. And I think brands can help just support that because we don't, I think one thing that we'll see after the pandemic starts to recede more and things do start to open up, there'll be a fatigue about people being told what to do, particularly from a health and well-being point of view. So there'll be a, that huge opportunity for brands, organizations, charities, businesses to kind of step in and, and not tell people what to do, but to to listen to what people want and to partner with those people and, and provide those platforms where they can just find the information that they need. I like that. It was like a, it was like a realistic mantra that you've had there, Simon. I, I really feel like it- Life is going to be very, very overwhelming when we go back to whatever the next normal is. You know, we, we think about now, it's been pretty much a year that we've been in this situation. That's enough time to, to get used to that situation. When we enter the, the wide world again, it's going to take some adjustment. And I think it, you're, you're right in that it is probably going to take some support from all different kind of areas to, to help people almost reassimilate into normal life again. I mean, can you imagine the number of people who a week after everything opens back up, uh, so just thinking about the UK here, immediately crave a night in or immediately crave a day, day in because they've been socially overwhelmed yeah. during that period of, of, of life opening back up. So yeah, I think there's, this is going to be a, a key trend for many years to come. I mean, I think we've seen we've seen a lot of there's been a lot of conversations about this kind of back to the 1920s kind of thing where post pandemic this idea of post pandemic I think is not necessarily accurate anyway because the pandemic will still be around for a long time it will just be about managing it but this idea of going back to this kind of social boom and people once and we saw this a little bit in the UK last year when lockdown ended in the summer and that you know there were people kind of rushing back into pubs and restaurants and things and there's been talk about how this time once vaccinations have been rolled out across more people there'll be there'll be less fear and less worry and people will kind of jump into socializing again, going back into and just grabbing life um, again. But I think the flip side of that is there'll be huge numbers of people that don't want to do that. And they'll, they'll need, as you said, you know, you don't want to go out. I mean, once this, once lockdown ends, I want to take a week off and just stay at home, which is not going to be that different to what I've been doing for the last 12 months. (laughs) But I think a lot of people will want to just take their own, do it at their own speed. And one of the key things from the wellbeing trend 
is mental health and mental health. We'd already seen, you know, the growth of social isolation and loneliness as a global epidemic. Post all of this, once things do kind of start getting back to normal, there's, there's going to be huge numbers of people that will be suffering from, you know, PTSD as a result of just having gone through a huge shift. And at the moment, for a lot of people, and, and certainly when it when it started last year, people may have thought it's a bit unusual, and then it became maybe a bit more stressful, and then there was uncertainty about when it would end, and there's the fears about your own health and the health of your loved ones. And then people kind of get used to different ways of living. But on top of that, there's always this uncertainty around us because of the pandemic. And there's just no kind of, for a lot of people, needing that end that end goal is really essential for mental health. And because that's not really there, and for different people, that end goal is going to be a different goal. That's where brands can really step in and, and thinking about the individual and helping them, giving them the resources that they need. Because I think if any brand, any organization makes an assumption that once once everything kind of goes back to normal in inverted commas that'll be good that'll be fine because it's beneficial for the economy it's going to be beneficial for people because they can go and see their friends they can see their family yes there will be huge benefits but it's also going to be hugely damaging to try and force people to go back to normal and that's where again going back to what we talked about at the very start things like accountability uh, openness transparency from brands it's you know people will want more than just being told this product will help you it's more we can help you find your normality, find your individual normality, and, and, that will, yeah. and that will support you for the long term. It's not about, okay, lockdown ends next week, figuratively, therefore you'll be going back to normal. It's more like lockdown will end on this day, and we will support you for as long as you need to feel happier, safer, mentally secure. Support and accountability are some key things I think you mentioned there that I think are really important. And I really like that. I like that. It's a nice sort of, I think it's a nice final thought. Simon's final thought um, to end on for the day there. Uh, (laughs) I personally can't wait until the four of us can safely share a room again. Obviously, (laughs) post-pandemic, nothing else. Um, (laughs) Maybe that's it. Maybe after the the pandemic, that's it. We'll all just rush to be together. Uh, But I just remember... It just, I look forward to when we can share a beverage and have these kind of conversations in person rather than just over Zoom mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, but unfortunately, I think that probably does it for us today time-wise. Um, thank you all so much uh, for your input and your insight on that. Um, some great insights, I think, from the consumer trends point of view and looking at the drivers. Really interesting as well, I think, to look at it from our category application point of view. And I think it's relevant for all categories to look at what's happening and what's relevant there and to have a look at that. So, um, yeah, thank you very much, Richard. Alex and Simon uh, for your input today. Uh, some great insights. Some great insights into uh, our nicknames and what we call each other as well. The, the mask did slip <laughs> every so often. Uh, but thank you very much. Uh, and thank you everyone for listening as well. Um, if you want to learn more about Mintel uh, or any of the topics that we've discussed today, any of the trends, uh, whether that's the food and drink trends, the household trends, the beauty trends, or indeed the consumer trends or the consumer drivers as well, you can find all of that information on the client site of Mintel.com. Uh, also, be be sure to subscribe to our little conversation wherever you get your podcasts but thank you all for joining me today and thanks everyone for listening have a great day Mm